Welcome to the Making After School Cool podcast, the link between research, practice, and theory for those interested in the activities youth are involved with during non-school hours. The Making After School Cool podcast is produced by Case for Kids, a division of Harris County Department of Education, and I'm your host, Mike Wilson. For many high school students, the thought of what to do after graduation can be overwhelming. Going straight to college might seem like the natural progression, but what should students already be doing to prepare for this step? Common questions many high school students may have include, should I already know what I want to major in before applying to a college? What type of college should I attend? Is it okay for me to take some time off and travel? Or what if college is not something I want to pursue? According to Kids Health Journal, assisting teens to prepare for college after high school is a very important task for educators, mentors, and parents. With the right assistance and information, helping students move into adulthood can be less complicated. This is part one of a two-part series that focuses on helping students develop a plan for life after high school. My guests today are Beth and Greg Langston. Beth and Greg are former professionals in education and business who now use their talents to aid young adults find and develop their life's goal. Beth has had tremendous success with mentoring high school students, understanding the college application essay process. Greg has had a successful international business career, which allowed him to mentor young professionals and businesses in 65 countries. For the last 20 years, Beth and Greg have helped students with finding their life's purpose. Greg and Beth, thanks so much for being our guests on today's episode of the Making After School Cool podcast. Well, thanks for having us, Mike. We're glad to be here. It's our pleasure. First off, I want to start off with, can you provide our listeners with information regarding our, your organization, the College Fight Plan, and what motivated you to create it? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. <laughs> we actually started with our own children. <laughs> um, so we raised our kids overseas, basically. Uh, when our son was 13 years old, he had been to 12 schools in five different countries. So it was a wonderful experience for all of us. I mean, I grew up in Indiana, hadn't been overseas until I married this guy. And so we, uh, the kids got to learn foreign language. They gained an appreciation for other cultures. Like when we lived in Singapore, there were 76 nationalities at the Singapore American School in K through 12. So it was wonderful. Just a a good, well-rounded education. I wish every young person in America could experience going to school in another country with other cultures. You know, it's a good eye-opening experience. Can I just interject yeah. one one <laughs> tip? Something that I thought was super clever. If you've got um, families from 76 different nationalities and you have some people, some students used to grades, some used to levels, some used to forms, how do you deal with a student's psyche if let's say they came from India and they were in level five and then they go to Singapore American school and they're now for whatever reason in level four, they can think, well, I'm not as smart as I was. I'm not as good as I was. So what they did, which we thought was fascinating is they they gave the students a standard test based upon American school standards. And then based on their, their degree or how they scored, they placed the students in a grade that was called by planet. And so there's no form of reference. And so our son came home and he says, I'm on Mars. And our daughter came home saying, she's, I'm on Neptune. And what was really brilliant about that is that there's no negative or positive permutation from that, which I thought was really pretty brilliant. What do you think of that? 
Yeah, I know. I think sometimes the the grade level can cap some students um, and it could also embarrass mm-hmm. other students, especially if they've been held back. But I do think like students learn at different paces. Um, some kids for a variety of reasons want to hurry up through high uh, school. Others might need to take a little bit longer to do it. Um, so I mm-hmm. do like the idea of using other systems besides just you're at this grade by this age and all of that kind of stuff because it takes that away if for whatever reason you're overaged for um, for your grade. We do have here in well, Houston a few campuses saying. that have like um, they're like international schools and they have about 50 or 60 different um, countries that are represented in the schools. Um, traditionally here in Texas. Uh, our ESL programs focus mostly on uh, students that speak Spanish and transitioning into English. But when you mm-hmm. have campuses where kids are speaking, you know, different dialects and different languages, and trying to find staff who can yes. uh, assist with, you know, prop, uh, for, with providing the proper education and the proper language can be a little difficult. But uh, one thing we have been spending a lot of time on is making sure we respect whichever country these, these students and these families come from, even though there may Definitely. be some language barriers. The educational systems or the educational institutions are now doing some research to try to respect at least the different uh, countries that these students are coming from. Definitely, that's something we ta- taught our kids um, when we were in these other countries. We're, we always said, you are a guest in this country and you provide by the rules, you respect their customs and their cultures, and you never say, in America, we did it right. this way. Right. <laughs> right. Like, Don't ever say that. That doesn't ring true. But when we were in Mexico, our kids were the only English speakers in their school. So I get that the reverse of that. And so every night they'd come home and we would have the Spanish English dictionary in one hand and their homework in the other. And we would spend about four hours plowing through what they had to do because I didn't speak Spanish. Greg was raised overseas, so he did speak Spanish fluently. Wow. So, and we had a homeschool in our home. Also, we hired a teacher to come down from the States for a year who taught other expatriate kids. We had third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade in our home. So as an educator, I was very involved, but we thought we needed to get our kids back to uh, the States by the time it was high school because we wanted to give them those opportunities to for self-discovery and learning their strengths and doing internships in areas they think they're, they thought they were interested in. And, but we were very disappointed. Whereas Greg, on the other hand, as an international executive was provided with hours of executive coaching and training that was teaching him these skills to be a good leader, to be a good team player, to just improve his performance and learn more about himself. And he kept saying, why did I have to wait 20 years to do this? Why aren't we teaching this to our kids in high school? And so that's where we started to make tools to use on our own children. Which were our guinea pigs and we, we didn't kill them. Probably came close, but uh, yeah. they they worked with us and we worked with them to develop tools that uh, helped them succeed. And Yeah, and we then their friends wanted to be in on this, so that was our next step. And then we started doing workshops in the area. At that point, we lived in Memphis, Tennessee. So we did a lot of work with the inner city kids and it was wonderful. And just to see the transformation of these children, because 
after they go through a, any process of more self-discovery, they gain this clarity on what their values and their strengths and their weakness and their purpose and their career goals are. And they have a confidence in clearly understanding and articulating what makes them unique as they progress through the application process or job interviews or other things like that. And then they also have this wonderful sense of control over their futures because they have actionable plans and goals, which is something that's really lacking in the kids' lives today. So the college flight plan is not just about college. It's a lot about just uh, figuring out uh, what it is that you would like in terms of your own life, at least for teenagers. Uh, a lot of teenagers think about uh, here and now, uh, but they know coming mm -hmm. real, real soon that uh, they're going to be out of out of high school, they're going to be on their own. And so you actually help them organize what is it that they want that part of their life to look like. Am I correct? That's correct. We allow them to do self-discovery in terms of what they're passionate about, not what their mom and dad are passionate about or somebody else or their friend or social media we help them uncover, basically peel back the onion to say, listen, this really jazzes me. I love doing this and I suck at doing this. And so how can I parlay that into a career, be it through college or in some cases we're finding college is not the right thing for me. I want to go be a welder or I want to be a pipe fitter or I want to do something else or I want to take a gap year and not do that at this time. So the self-discovery really does help the students go through that. Right. Well, I know it's been said that it's never too early to start kids preparing for college, but realistically, at what age should youth start thinking about life after high school? Oh, gosh. Well, I would say <laughs> freshman year. I know freshmen in high school, they're very busy and uh, it's a new experience. And but thinking of it then, if the first thing you need to think about is keeping your grades up as a freshman because you don't want to spend the next three years trying to get that GPA back up because the number one thing that college admissions officers are looking for is academic success, whether that's in your GPA, which will be the first thing they look at, your standardized test scores, the quality of your curriculum, they're looking at that, any outside uh, courses that you might have taken in your in areas of interest. They just want to show that you have a dedicated interest in pursuing the world and in a curious interest, you know, um, but that the GPA gives you permission to play, which because they have their standards, right? And then so that's why we recommend getting help early in in that area. If you're struggling, try to get a tutor, get help at school, meet with a teacher. Um, get help with your standardized tests and we also recommend um, dedicating time as freshmen, sophomore, juniors to extracurricular accomplishments because what the colleges are looking for are uh, in-depth commitment to certain projects not a smattering of projects. Colleges are looking for they want a well-rounded student body but they don't necessarily want a well-rounded student. They want a student that fits into a slot in their well-rounded student body. So they love uh, students that show leadership positions, not necessarily captain or president of a club, but um, servant leadership is very key too. And we address that in their essays sometimes. Maybe they weren't that president of the club, but they showed servant leadership in, in another way. 
So they love entrepreneurial spirits, people who are going out and helping their community. COVID was blooming with a lot of those things that uh, they could do then. So um, so we we recommend getting involved right away. Don't wait till you know, senior, senior year. year because it's all got to go now into your application, what you've been doing. And now, and the other thing we recommend, the third thing that college admissions officers are looking for are students that are, are self-aware, have self-knowledge, and they have a plan for their future. That it's unique for them to find students that know their values, their goals, their strengths, their weaknesses, their natural inclinations, and that have plans and goals set for their future. A lot of kids are just going into college figuring they'll figure it out when they get there. But that has a very big downside, right? Yeah, there, there are some significant um, statistics that only 40% of college graduates graduate in four years. Okay, 40%, 60% of them graduate in six years. And the key reason is that 60% of students are changing majors at least three times. And so for your audience out there saying, well, my, my son or daughter will figure this out when they get to college. The problem is college at the low end is $30,000. A, mid, a mid-sized school or a private school is 50,000 and an Ivy League school is $80,000. And so if you take an extra two years to figure that out, that can be 60,000 to $160,000 worth of debt if you do finish. Now, what's a, a really terrible thing is that a lot of kids go to schools that they're not suited to do, they don't know what they want to do, and they drop out after two years. And so now they're saddled with this debt and they can't pay off the debt and have a, have a lifestyle. So it's really a vicious circle that we believe can be fixed, but the student has to do some self-discovery mm-hmm. along the way. And an interesting statistic that kind of confirms this, a recent study was done that said 87%, 87% of people 16 to 29 have no purpose or meaning, which is tragic. They don't know what they want to do. And so that's why we are so passionate about helping young people figure out what they want to do. You don't have to wait until you're in college. And that sort of brings me to my next question. But before I go there, I do want to admit uh, everything you said could be applied to me during my college journey. Uh, (laughs) Us too. (laughs) Yeah, I went because it's like, hey, I didn't want to get a job. So I go to college um, and, you know, I changed majors three times. A lot of it was based on my friends. Um, And then when I finally got to the point to where I figured out this is what I wanted to do, um, you know, I did waste a couple of years after we take certain classes. And I do think, you know, from my experience of being in education for over 20 some odd years uh, and remembering back to some of my own struggles, uh, one of the problems that I did have was I didn't really think about, okay, what are my plans in regards to, uh, I knew what I wanted my life to look like after high school. I just didn't know how to get there. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, but going back to my, my question, I know you spend a lot of time with helping youth understand themselves. So why is self-discovery for teens so important? Wow. Um, well, number one, just financially, um, if you know what you're passionate about, uh, you're able to go to college or get a job that is really something that you know you're going to succeed in and it's going to be fulfilling and you're going to be able to contribute to your legacy personally to your family and to your community and so that's why it's so important to have that self-discovery and to really figure out what you're what you want to do and just to highlight how many people are 
are not doing what they're what they're meant to do in the United States today. Over 70% of the people who are in jobs hate their jobs. I mean, that's terrible because they're doing things that they don't really feel passionate about. And so that's why we feel it's important that young people particularly figure out what drives them, what makes them excited, what interests them so that they can be successful. My uh, oldest daughter, ever since she's been little, she loved animals. And um, she would always say she wanted to be a veterinarian, which we encouraged her if that's what she wanted to pursue. She doesn't like science and math. And so <laughs> I would tell her, it's like, you know, to be a veterinarian, you're gonna have to do a little bit of science and do some math. Uh, but I said, there's maybe other options also that you could do involving animals. She loved art. She, she loved mm -hmm. to draw. She's very creative. And I said, you know, in life, there's so many different interests that we have that you could pursue things that, you know, you may do something in the art field and with your spare time, you do something with animals. I mean, it all doesn't have to be crammed into one thing. Uh, and so we do spend a lot of time with um, trying to get them to understand what it is that um, they're very interested in. Um, mm -hmm. Then we're fortunate enough to also look at, you know, what type of fields can be available, what kind of money you can make in this particular field. If you really love it and you don't make a lot of money, hey, it's something you love, so that's great. Uh, it's better to do something you love versus doing something you hate that pays a lot of money, but you're miserable for, you know, majority of the day and when you go home, you're depressed and you don't want to do anything else. And so, right. you know, is it only 27% of people are happy in their jobs? <laughs> no, 70%, only 27% are actually doing the work that coincides with their, with their degree. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know what, Mike, our son is a good example also of his whole life. He thought he wanted to be in medicine. And so as he got older, he thought, okay, I think I want to be uh, a surgeon. So he had the opportunity, which I encourage kids to seek, be the squeaky wheel, go promote yourself. He had the opportunity to go in, not intern, but just go to work with a neurosurgeon and a cardiovascular surgeon in one of his summers, not the whole summer, but a couple, about a month of the summer. After that time, he's like, this is not at all what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, thankfully he didn't uh, spend his whole career or his college career pursuing that because he would have spent a lot of money and a lot of hours in med school you know so he and now he's in the financial world so go figure that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> not at all what he thought he wanted to do and we also want to highlight that even though the counselors and there are male and female counselors that are absolutely extraordinary but they're running around with their hair on fire because on average, there are 424 students for every college, for every counselor in the United States, in high schools in the United States. And I don't know what it is in Texas, but in California, it's 900 students per counselor. And so it really is a misnomer to think that your student's gonna get that one-on-one -on -one self discovery attention. So we just encourage parents to where possible, have your student be the squeaky wheel with that college counselor so that they get to have a connection and or do the self-discovery on their own. Beth and Greg, thank you so much for being my guest on the Making That School Cool podcast. We're thankful for truly to be on your show because um, if we can help one kid, 
uh, yeah. or one family to live a, live a legacy that they're a little bit more proud of than they were before, uh, then we're doing our job. As always, I want to thank our listeners for joining us today for our topic focused on helping students develop a plan for life after high school. Please join us for future episodes as we continue to explore issues relevant to the out-of-school time field.